Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Well, the only country that comes up with a name for fun, crack, it's blackguard and it's scut and it's no harm. 55 euros straight out of my account. So they have my money and I have no test. I time for all these people and it's always a good hearted person to change them. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 PJ Coogan. Do you know, there's a little conversation we often have here in the morning as we're preparing the show. What do people actually care about? Particularly when we're listening to the morning news and reading the morning papers. What is it that the people who call us and text us and email us and WhatsApp us, what do they actually care about? And I reckon at the moment, nothing is bothering ordinary people more than the cost of electricity. So I'm going to come back to it uh, from yesterday. That figure that was uh, released, official figures now, uh, not just what we think, but what we now know, thanks to a thing called the Household Energy Price Index, we are now paying the most expensive electricity bills in the entire European Union, despite how much the government has put back into it with these uh, credits which were welcome but still we are being fleeced and I think people care a lot more about that than they care about some other things like what some property deal or other that some politician or other might have been involved in in 2007 or 2008. Frankly, I think that ordinary people care an awful lot more about uh, the fact that their electricity is costing them the more than, more than double uh, what some people in Europe are paying. Your thoughts are welcome on that. What do you actually care about in this morning's news? What do you not care about in this morning's news? One thing people are very worried about is what is happening down at Stryker. You'll remember that we had the tragic fire there last week. Two people seriously hurt. One man particularly seriously injured and still, I believe, on life support with his family surrounding him at CUH. He has received life-changing injuries. We understand another man uh, also hurt there in that was in the Androve plant striker plant last week and then yesterday morning story broke here during the opinion line that the fire brigade was gone in force to the Tullagrena uh, plant of striker for what turned out to be another uh, incident and you remember between the two Pat Buckley of Sinn Féin raised it in the Doyle uh, the difficulty he was having in investigating disclosures of safety concerns among staff. We did have texts and WhatsApp from staff who said, look, it's a great place to work. We're well paid. It's a nice job. But then they were saying it could be safer, though. 
Uh, Neil McGowan is the organiser uh, for SIP2 dealing with that sector. Is Stryker a health and safety problem? Neil, good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thank you for having me on. Um, look, since 2019, we've been raising safety concerns with Stryker, um, and people working there have, have grave concerns, um, and it's, it's simply not good enough that the company fails to engage with us uh, to try and address those concerns. And we've offered to do this in a collaborative manner, um, and to date they've, they've ignored us. And I think you referenced um, Deputy Buckley's contribution in the Dáil last week, where he read out a very lengthy list of incidents that have happened over the last number of years, and and that that can only leave people concerned. Yeah, is Stryker fully unionised, uh, Neil? Stryker in Carrick Tuhill, so we have the three sites in Carrick Tuhill, and they fail to recognise the union, um, despite numerous efforts and despite three Labour Court recommendations um, stating that the company should sit down and engage and collectively bargain with the union. And what is utterly bizarre about the whole situation is that on the striker sites in McCroom and on the striker site in Limerick that the company recognised SIP2 and they deal with us on a regular basis and we have a quite a positive relationship to the point that we agreed a pay deal in McCroom earlier this year that was accepted by the membership. We agreed a pay deal in Limerick last year that was accepted by the membership. This is all normal industrial relations yeah. happens on the McCroom and the Limerick sites but for some reason when it comes to Carrick Tuval, the company point blank refused to engage with the union. Sounds and to me then, Neil, that as if Stryker as an entity uh, has a problem with you. Its local management seems to deal with you wherever it feels it wants to do so. But as a company, it doesn't want to deal with you across the board. Would it be right? It's it's difficult to understand the logic where, where we have positive relationships on the sites in Limerick and in McCroom and yet there's you know a point blank refusal to engage with us despite the recommendations from the court in um in the Carrick Tool sites. And you know, it's like we want to deal with this, like the health and safety issues that yeah. have been raised consistently since 2019. It's they in that context I was asking about it, uh, Neil. That that's why, because it must be but much easier, I would suspect, if you do have a working relationship with with a, a plant. It must be much easier to deal with health and safety difficulties in those circumstances. Absolutely, absolutely. Where where you've got a local representative structure in place, and there's recognition of the union. And then this happens every day across the pharmaceutical sector, across private industry, across the public sector, where issues are raised, they're dealt with quickly, and they're addressed. And the net result of that is that people that work in these sites have a safer workplace. And that is not happening on the striker sites in Carrigtoogle, where people are raising complaints, management don't want to know about it. We know because it's it's on public record after being raised in Leinster House and indeed in the media over recent years that a significant number of protected disclosures were made mm. to the HSA um, and the HSA came in, did their investigations. Now, I think the HSA, we're, we're looking for the HSA to become heavily involved. We know they've been on site following the, the incident last week and that they'll be on site after the incident this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, and look, ultimately, the employer has an obligation to provide a safe workplace the HSA is the statutory body that provides oversight on that. Yeah. And, you know, everybody needs to work together to ensure that those sites in, in Carrigtool are as safe as they possibly can be. You're talking it's about the 2005 Health and Safety Work Act, aren't you? 
Yeah. If the Health yeah. and Safety Authority comes into either one of those plants in East Cork and finds that they're in breach of that act, what powers does it have? Well, they can, they can impose, you know, they, they, I think the idea is that the Health and Safety Authority will try to work with the employer to introduce measures. So when, when we raise issues with the Health and Safety Authority, we get told that they've been investigated and have been adequately addressed by the, by the employer. Um, but we don't get any more details. And a quick that. one there on that, Neil. No, sorry to keep coming across you, but this is what comes into a punter's head when he's listening. So the Health and Safety Authority, HSA, will go in, examine the plant, examine where the accident happened, will we'll report on what it finds. Does it then go back at a later date and examine the thing again to see have SIP or have uh, Stryker done what they were told? It, it, they certainly should. Um, do they? Whether that act, whether that actually happens, I I don't know because, as I said, when people make these when people make these reports to the HSA, whether it be on the striker site or anywhere else for that matter, and I have some personal experience uh, doing it on behalf of members on different sites, you you get told that it will be investigated, then you get told that it's been investigated and adequate measures have been taken, but there's no further detail than that. And are these investigations and, a matter of public record? The investigations as regards to protected disclosures are dealt with in a confidential manner. Now, obviously, it's very important where protected disclosures are made that the identity of the people making the disclosure is protected. Indeed. Indeed. But, you know, but there, but there does need to be a level of transparency as regards what measures have been taken or what health and safety issues have been identified. You know, and that, I'm speaking in general terms now as well as on the, the striker sites in Carrick too. Um, but, you know... I think the first thing the company need to do, they need to sit down and engage with us because, yeah. you know, we, we do we do this on a daily basis right across the country and when it comes to health and safety, everybody's on the same team. There's 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 no, there's, there's no agendas, you know, all anybody wants to do is make sure that people come to work, do a fair day's work for a fair day's pay and go home in the same condition that they came in. You've asked the global head of health and safety at Stryker, who I assume isn't based here, to meet with you. Well, do you think that's going to happen? Well, it's it's been quite clear that our calls for local management to meet with us are falling on deaf ears. Um, so we've no option but to take it to the next level, which is these people are based in, in the United States. And we, we've written to the chief executive, we've written to the global head of environment and health and safety, um, because ultimately they have a responsibility in this as well. Like it's um, and where the local management are just refusing point blank to engage with us, despite the seriousness of the yeah. issues. Was we, it? We need to take that somewhere else, and we're going to take it to senior management and striker. But we're we're going to take it wherever it needs to go because this is just too important. We're talking about the safety of people there. This, was, this is, was, this it is signi- was it significant in your mind that Michal Martin has asked the company to meet you? Absolutely, and we we referenced that in the statement that we put out there yesterday at the Tornish today. We call on the company to meet with the union, um, and you know that's that that that's very welcome. Um, I know Pat Buckley has done fantastic work with people over a period of time. Sean Sherlock called on the the, the company to meet with us last week as well, um, but I do think it is significant that the Tornish has has taken that step, and I think that you know. I, th- I think that enforces how important this is. You know, this is people's safety we're talking about. Yeah, and we have two, well, one very serious 
incident and, and one that could have been very serious in the space of a week. Yeah, and again, you look at you look at uh, Deputy Buckley's contribution in the doll last week, where he listed at great length all the incidents that have taken place in recent years, and then we've obviously had the, you know, the very very the desperate incident that happened last week, where where a man is seriously injured, um, and the incident yesterday, there was four fire brigades responded. Yeah, um, th- thankfully nobody was hurt, um, but. You know, it's it's they're 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 too common. Um, Neil, and I, I don't want to preempt anything, Neil. But are you quietly dreading the day that you and I are speaking here about a fatality? <sighs> well, the the day I got the phone call from one of our activists last Monday to tell me about the the explosion that happened on the roof, um, I wasn't surprised because of the catalogue of incidents that have taken place on site. Um, and, you know, that's... Look, we need to allow the HSA to conduct their investigation and, you know, they'll report in good time. And I, I'm not, not commenting around the specifics of it, but where you've got a consistent pattern of health and safety incidents happening on these sites, absolutely people are worried. All right, Neil, and thank you. Thank you. Neil McGowan is a SIP2 organiser for the sector. Striker. Great employers. They're there a long time. Employ an awful lot of people. By, a call, by what you're told, pay them well. But for some reason best known to themselves, we'll deal with the union in Limerick and in Mallow. But we'll not deal with the plants where the health and safety problems are arising. 0818969696. It's one we'll stay with. There is a wonderful new true crime podcast about to hit your various platforms today. And we know that people love their true crime. Sometimes I prefer, in fact, I prefer my crime fictional. I go home at night and I sit down with fictional crime. But people spend hours and hours reading and looking at and podcasting true crime. But we've got one for you. A humdinger for you. Next. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. The Big Drive Home. Weekdays from 4. On Cork's 96FM. It's week 2 of Snap the App. There's 500 euro up for grabs every evening on the show. And you could be our next big winner. The Cork's 96 FM app, and I could be calling you next. Listen in to win every weekday from four. The big drive home with Nyan Motors, your number one for Kia in Cork. Cork's 96 FM. Come back to this one later on about the electricity bills because I think at the moment, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong here, one of the things that's bothering listeners to this program more than anything is the electricity bills. Because we got the official figures yesterday telling us we are now paying the highest electricity bills in all of Europe. In all of Europe. We're also paying nearly twice the European average. The cheapest is Hungary at 9.2 cents per unit. I don't know how they're managing to do that. But the average is 28 cents per unit. We're paying 50 cents per unit. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick of that. Absolutely sick of it. And I want to know why. And I want to know why 
the wholesale prices are tumbling and we're getting nothing in return. And I care more about that than I do about lots of stuff I read in the morning news. Kate says, I don't understand this at all. We're all using the same oil and gas and wind and sun. Somebody's creaming it. Is it the energy companies or the government or both? Questions requiring answers, Kate. Thank you. Andrew also is... This is a good point Andrew's making. Communions. Month of May. Communion month. Every Saturday, there'll be pubs and hotels and restaurants thronged with communion parties. And the blessings to you. And I hope you have a wonderful day with your special kid on their special day. Hope it's wonderful for you, wherever you decide to celebrate it, however you decide to celebrate it. But Andrew says, is it really appropriate to have big parties in pubs? How in God's name is a pub a suitable place for kids to run around, have fun, do kid things? Is it just a place for the adults to go and get slashed? Why not bring the kids to Monkey Maze or somewhere similar? After all, it is their day, not a day for the adults. There's a question, Andrew raises. I'd like your thoughts on that. Communion season is starting. Is it meant to be a party for the child on their special day? Or a piss-up for the adults? There's another one that's bought. Your thoughts, please. 0818-969696. Now, the Killerhens is a new true crime podcast from the Irish Sun. First episode has dropped today, and it's hosted by Damien Lane and Stephen Breen of the Irish Sun, and it details the last 40 years of the Kinahan family and how they rose to be an international criminal organization. And also, of course, the Hutches come into this. They have to. So how do we get two international criminal organizations out of one small inner city area of Dublin. It's over nine episodes. First one dropping today. And the two lads are joining me now, Stephen Breen and Damien Lane. Morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning. Stephen, I'll, I'll turn to you first. We only spoke recently after the, the Jerry Hutch case. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the split between Hutch and Kinahan came after the Regency Hotel. You've been looking into that far, far more, more deeply. You, you, yeah. you can reveal now how deeply you've been looking into this Regency Hotel attack. Yeah, but I think to understand what happened that day on February 5th, uh, 2016, you have to look back at the origins of the criminal gangs who are involved in a feud that took place First of all, in Spain in September 2015, Gary Hutch was shot dead. But to understand how that this feud uh, originated, you have to look at the gangs and, and, and the, the, the personalities who were involved. So if you look at the, the, the Kinahan cartel, you have Christy Kinahan, um, who was initially born in, in the UK and then obviously um, had grown up in Ireland, and his two sons, Daniel and Christopher Jr. Now, Christy Kinahan, was first convicted um, of involvement in the drug trade in 1986 uh, for uh, possession of heroin. But it was only afterwards that um, we, we got to see the real Christy Kinahan in, in terms of how uh, he could build up this criminal empire. And 
when you look at the criminal empire, it originates in Spain, where, first of all, he decides to leave Ireland because he is concerned about the gangland legislation and mm-hmm. about the criminal assets bureau targeting him. So he goes to southern Spain. And as he gets older in the early noughties and, and up through 20, 2008, 2009, you have his sons, Daniel and Christopher, who are named in the Spanish investigation files that the Irish son obtained. Um, which we published a number of years ago because uh, the, the Spanish were concerned about tourism. The Spanish were concerned about the Irish Mafia, as they called them, in southern Spain, who were um, operating and dealing with criminals from all over Europe from, and indeed from South America as well. But people were losing their lives, like uh, Paddy Doyle in 2008. So but people who were central to that cartel were people like Gary Hutch. Like Gary Hutch was Gary Hutch's nephew. Hmm. Jerry Hutch had always maintained that he was never into drugs, he, he wasn't into heroin, but the reality is his nephews, Christopher Bouncer Hutch and also Gary Hutch, were uh, integral parts of the Kinahan organisation. Bouncer Hutch uh, passed away in the early 90s, but Gary Hutch, when we were looking at the, the growth of the Kinahan organisation in 2008 and 2009, the Spanish files had Gary Hutch as the right-hand man of Daniel Kinahan, as Daniel Kinahan's best friend, but when you're looking at that criminal organisation, you know at that time I think we were all shocked uh, to understand just just the sheer transnational scope that the yeah. cartel had. Damien, I'll bring you in at this point, and this is the stuff that if you saw a Hollywood movie or a Netflix movie coming out, you'd go, Ah, no, no, that's that's too far fetched. There's no way two international crime gangs come out of one single working class area. It, it, it's so far-fetched, it's ridiculous. And yet it happened. Yes, it happened. Absolutely. And I mean, the thing about the, thing about the north inner city and I suppose the thing about working class communities, and these people, these people are kind of, they're born on the street. They're streetwise from a very young age. They can see around corners. They understand how the world works. Mm. If, if they have been brought up in a in, you know, in a middle-class environment or a kind of a, a well-to-do environment, these people would have been top businessmen, top politicians. That's how clever they were. They, they, they knew how to operate, but they operated in a criminal world and they rose to the top very quickly because they were so ruthlessly brilliant at what they did. Yeah. Stephen, I'll bring you back in at this point. After the trial ended last week, the, the, the newspapers the following day, the, the Sun included, had pictures of Jerry Hutch back in his own stomping ground, and people saying, oh, he's a gentleman. Well, you have to think about this as well. Jerry Hutch has been associated with organised crime for almost uh, four decades. Jerry Hutch, in the 80s and the 90s, had connections to uh, professional IRA members who were operating in Dublin. But if you look at the the aspects of the trial that currently took place there, that has just been completed, the, the Special Criminal Court ruled that he had control of the Kalashnikov rifles that were used in the murder of David Byrne. So if he is just a legitimate businessman, if he is just someone who just wants to get on with his life, then why would a legitimate businessman who's involved in the taxi and the limo business, why would they have access to these firearms? And he's so well known over the years. Obviously, he did serve time as a young individual when he was involved in petty crime and, and robberies. But also, he was the leader of a street gang, the Bugsy Malones. But then, as he progressed into the realms of organised crime, you have the guards identifying him as a key suspect in relation to, to uh, raids on Security Corps uh, establishments in, in the uh, 1987 and, and in the 1990s. And he also played a huge 
over one million euro uh, tax bill to um, the, uh, the Criminal Assets Bureau. But as Damien mentioned there as well, about that photograph, you know, there is Jerry Hutch that we published during the night with James Byrne, uh, Jaws, James Byrne, and Sadie Byrne. They're the parents of the individual that he was accused of murdering, which yeah. he was subsequently cleared of. So it shows the connections. And even when we were writing about the, the Byrne family for many years, you know, we had a high court uh, uh, listing before, and the, and the high court had said that the Burns were synonymous with organised crime in Ireland. So Jerry just wasn't associated himself with, you know, ordinary individuals. These, these were people connected to organised crime. And one, one more thing is that when, when you look at the, the feud, the former friendships, the former alliances, how they were shattered, we also published a photograph of Daniel Kennehan with James Michael Gidley. Daniel mm. Kennehan was his trainer. Daniel Kennehan was looking after him when they were in Spain together. And indeed, there are photographs of Gary Hodge and Daniel Kennehan together. But then you have James Michael Gately. He's he's been uh, the target of two assassination attempts on his life in 2017. And that again showed the global reach of the cartel because the Kennehans were able to recruit Imre Arrakis, an Estonian national who had convictions before, who's, who's a, a hitman in his own country, travelling from Spain to Dublin to go to Belfast to try and kill James Gately. It's, it's astonishing stuff. Now, in putting the podcast together, you've spoken not just to uh, retired Gardaí, top Gardaí, uh, Michael O'Sullivan and John O'Driscoll, both assistant commissioners who've been following these gangs for, for many, many years. You've also spoken, lads, to some of the victims of the feud, some very emotional interviews contained in these nine episodes. Damien? Yeah, there, there, there really is. I mean, the, the, that's the heartbreaking thing about this podcast I suppose is kind of the individual stories, the, the tragic stories of ordinary people whose lives have been upended by by these two crime families. I mean heroin was a huge thing in the in, in the 80s in, in Dublin. Um, the Duns brought uh, masses of heroin into the into the city. That's how these two families kind of made their mark in, in crime was on the back of heroin. And we tell stories, we tell the stories of of Mothers who've lost lost their sons to addiction, and I mean, it, it, the heroin problem in du- in Dublin is still there to this mm. day. I mean, it's it's something that has marked the city and has really damaged the city. I mean, it, heroin was heroin was the I suppose you could say it, 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 the biggest the biggest scandal in in Dublin in the eighties was the heroin epidemic. It was kind of the cur- the court was the the currency of criminality there. Correct. I mean, drugs are the currency of criminality, but it, but it's it's what they leave behind. It's, it's the tragic stories they leave behind. Nobody gets to talk about these people. Hmm. You know, and 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 we, we spoke we spoke to several several members several several mothers who lost who lost who lost their their children to to heroin. I mean, one mother described finding her son or her son was found in in a pub toilet okay. with a needle sticking in his arm. Nine episodes weekly over the next nine weeks. Stephen, the last one will focus on, if you want, the trial of the century that that we all followed. You you, you really do delve into that for the last episode. Yeah, I think it's important, you know, when you have someone such as notorious as Jerry Hutch appearing in court charged with the murder of David Byrne. You know, everybody followed that 52-day trial. We were waiting then from January until April till the verdict came during the week. There's obviously still a huge interest in it. I mean, this feud is... You, you have two families here, criminal uh, royalty, 
you know, they are now sworn enemies and they are now, you know, vying to kill each other. And obviously the question is now uh, what happens next. But obviously this story has been ongoing since 2015, since Gary Hutch uh, was shot dead. You know, we've had 18 people lose their lives hmm. in that time. Uh, you've had a massive response from the state in terms of the targeting of the Kinnan cartel. You now have the U.S. government involved. And, and the Hutch story, the Jerry Hutch's appearance in, in court, special criminal court, is just another extension of, you know, what has happened uh, in recent times. And, and obviously the, the focus now, which, which has been since last year uh, after the announcement at City Hall by the U.S. government, is the, the total uh, dis, uh, dismantling of the Kinnan organisation. So, That'll be the next stage and mm. the next focus in this story, which is ongoing and yeah. shows no no signs of ending anytime soon. Yeah, I was getting I was getting to that actually. Like it's not over. What happened in the court last week? This is not over. Could we be headed for even more gangland carnage on our streets? Do you think because of where this is going or has gone? Well, there hasn't been a murder in this Kinnahan and Hutch feud since uh, twenty eighteen. I think. The Garda National Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau have done a remarkable job in dismantling Kinahan cartel hit teams. People operating in the city at that time, you know, you have uh, uh, individual members being caught and apprehended on, on the way to kill uh, people, including the monk's brother, Patsy Hutch. You have over 70 individuals now in court, seven for murder. You have individuals, uh, sorry, individuals in prison now for participation in an organised crime gang. Uh, for directing the activities of an organised crime gang. We know that the sanctions are now uh, against the Kinnahan cartel. Their rewards are on for their information leading to their arrest. But still, I think the guards still have to be vigilant because I remember speaking to one uh, guard before who mentioned that you know this could be a generational thing where you have people who've lost their lives in this feud. They have younger children, younger associates who, when they get older, might decide to take some kind of revenge. And obviously... Jerry Hutch is a, is a, a huge target for the Kinnahan cartel. They already tried to kill him in Spain a, a couple of times. Um, so, look, you, just, you have to be vigilant, I would say, from the guard point of view. Uh, but the last thing I want is more blood on the streets. But the Kinnahan cartel have definitely been decimated in recent times because of the number of people who, who were working for them who are now behind bars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The podcast is released episode by episode over nine weeks. Lads, congratulations to you both. We look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, cheers, that's Damien Lane and Stephen Breen from the Irish Sun. First episode of The Kinnans should drop today on wherever you get your podcasts. Have a look for it. You'll find it. Nine episodes over nine weeks. 0818 96 96 96. Staying with electricity. Kevin says, mine is down a bit from 70 euro per week in the winter to 60 per week in the new lighter evenings. And that's that's good. That's good, Kevin. I looked a list at a list this morning of the most expensive appliances. Um and you know what kills us, lads, is the weather. Cause it really is not you can't really put clothes out to dry on the line yet, because the weather is still a bit unpredictable. Do you know what's absolutely killing you? The tumble dryer. The tumble dryer is costing you per hour three times as much as the washing machine. Have a think about that. 
before you turn it on this morning. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. Now, last Monday uh, marked a very sad day for a little girl who loves school. 10-year-old Leah Ford. She goes to St. Paul's in Montanotti. Brilliant school. A remarkable school. Do incredible work with kids like Leah. But she has been out of school now for 100 days. Uh, she joins me. Her mum, Anne, joins me. Uh, good morning, Anne. Or beg your pardon, Michelle Hi, is PJ, there. how are you? We'll go to Anne in a minute. Mum, Michelle. Michelle, um, so... Why has she been at home for the last 100 days from this wonderful school that she loves? Okay, so um, pre-COVID, Leah was on a diet where we used to get milk from the chemist, this pre-made up milk, um, especially for her. um, And we would give that via the pump through her peg into her stomach. She has to be tube fed, correct? Yeah, correct. And... um, then throughout COVID, she was at home, but she was very unwell in that time, um, a lot of the time with pneumonias and so on, because the milk, she used to aspirate the milk and the milk used to go into her lungs and then that would cause pneumonia. And then she would end up in hospital for weeks at a time on, she may even have ended up on, in ICU at times as well. Right. And then um, during COVID, in March 2020, Leah obviously wasn't in school. I was working from home for the first time ever. My other daughter, Olivia, was at home the whole time. And Leah was very sick. And I couldn't have my nurses from Jack and Jill come into the house because they worked in the hospital. So I was doing everything myself. Mm-hmm. And I nearly had a breakdown. But anyway, Leah kept getting sick. And I just said one morning, do you know what? That's it. You are not getting that awful milk anymore. Yeah. You're getting courage for your breakfast. Talk to me a little so bit about how, sorry it. sorry to cut across you, Michelle. Talk to me a little bit about yeah. how, how she is fed. She has a, a, a tube yeah. and all her food must go in she that way. She has a tube. Yeah. So, yeah, we changed, we changed her feeding regime since that day when I had the breakdown. I said, you're getting porridge for breakfast, so I blended it. I put it into a syringe and I gave it to her down to myself. And she was fine. She didn't get sick. And then I gave her her lunch during the tube. It was soup and brown bread. And all was grand. And then I gave her the her dinner, say, stew. And that was fine. And we woke, everything was fine. She was fine. No aspirations. No nothing. Um, and we continued with that. And since then, like in five months, she gained um, a third of her body weight. And we never looked back. And she's much healthier now okay. and there's not a hope in hell we would go back to the milk feed because that's what caused all her problems. Okay. So when okay. it So she has regular she has regular food. meals, Michelle, but they're blended up for blended. her into a liquid. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then yeah, they go through much. her tube into her tummy directly so they bypass the they bypass the problem she where she used chew. to aspirate. Yeah, she can't she, she can't, can't chew or swallow. See, that's the okay. problem. Okay. No, no. Okay. So then um because her feeding regime had changed um, and then we were ready to send her back to school, we had to create new policies with the dietitian. 
because Leo's the first person, can you believe, that's actually on the blended diet. Now, I know it's up and coming. It's not some crazy diet. It's real food mm. down the tube. No, nothing medical about it. Like you, you put her, you, you put her, for <clears throat> want of any other, you put her fish fingers, potatoes and peas yeah. into a blender and you go, and then it goes straight into Pretty her much. tummy. Yeah. yeah. And Doesn't sound like rocket science to me, Michelle. It sounds like good food. No, good food, yeah. And um, because the feeding regime had changed since she was in school last, we had to create new policies. So we went through all that with the dietitian. The dietitian and COPE stands over this diet. But, um, and then we went to the school during the summer, myself and one of my Jack and Jill nurses, and we gave training to the teachers and the SNAs in her class. And everything was fine. And we went back to school. And after three weeks then in school, um we were told that Leah couldn't, unfortunately, go to school anymore because it wasn't in the teacher's or the SNA's job description to feed Leah by the tube and, and that it was a nurse's responsibility. And can I ask yeah. at that point, Michelle, mm. so once her food is blended, okay, is it a, is yeah. it a matter of just hanging it up in her tube in a tube or what what has to be done is there something that a person physically has to do for her so it's in a little container you could say i separate them into little pots and i get a 20 ml syringe and i draw up 20 mils at a time and basically screw it to her tube and push push the back of the syringe so it goes into her stomach so it's a slow process it's not slow no no at home I do it in three minutes. Really? Each okay. one. Okay. I'm so used to doing it now. In, out, job done. Yeah. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. But in school, it would take longer because by the time the nurse comes down to the classroom and leaves her other kids that she's caring for, because there's only one nurse in the school and she has to care for 50 children that need medical assistance in the school. Right. And that number of nursing per, per child hasn't changed. Um, and there is, what is it? There was two classes when that nurse was appointed in St. Paul's. Now there's 15 yeah. and there's still only one nurse. That nurse doesn't even have time to take a lunch break. So by the time that nurse leaves another child who could be having a problem themselves and sure. the nurse needs to spend time with that child, by the time they get to Leah, like it takes time. Okay, so and just another, another little question just on the basis, just for people, Michelle, who are just picking up the story and aren't familiar with it. So yeah. this the skill of feeding Leah is one that both the SNA and the teacher are ab- they're, they're, they're able to do it, but the rules don't allow them to do it, correct? That's right, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get to that point um, for yeah. people. Okay, it must, it must be the school nurse, the teacher, even though, like you say, it's not particularly difficult. The teacher and the SNA mm-hmm. can both do it and are both willing to do it, but they're not allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. No. Okay, okay. And that's where the problem arises. The nurse, mm-hmm. with the best will in the world, can't yeah. be there when she needs it. No, she's run off her feet. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and therefore... That's why your lovely little girl hasn't had school for 100 days because she can't get fed at the times that she needs it. Yeah. Okay. Let me bring in Anne Hartnett, who is the principal at at St. Paul's. And again, 
Anne, uh, before we even start, the wonderful work that you do there uh, goes noticed in, in the community every single day, what, you, what you're doing up there. It broke your heart to send Leah home. Even though the teacher in the SNA would be able to do the feed, they're simply not allowed, correct? Good morning, PJ, and thank you for your kind words. Yes, it's 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 an absolute tragedy. It really is, um, because while the teacher in the SNAs would would have no issue themselves uh, continuing with it, it is a nurse's role, you see. And our nurse here, as Michelle said, God love her, is ran off her feet. And before this even happened, um, as you know, Cope Foundation are our service provider and Cope Foundation had put in two business applications for an additional nurse for St. Paul's because the way it works is that Cope Foundation do the clinical governance for the school nurse, but they're funded by the HSE. So they go to the HSE to um, say, look, we desperately need another an additional nurse in St. Paul's and the HSE sanction it. Right. So when this happened, um, uh, as I say, we have we have 97 children here. We have 44 uh, um, uh, SNAs and we have 15 class teachers. Right. Um, and the SNAs teach all of the staff, as you well know. I mean, they're they're outstanding. But unfortunately, this is not their role. And unfortunately, to be fair to the nurse, we have very complex um, children with med. We have ch- we've wonderful children here, and many of them have complex needs, right? So there would be close to thirty of them would need um, direct intervention from the from the nurse every single day. Hold on, you've so, t- stop yeah. there a second, and so you've thirty children. That's a, that's practically a third of your cohort. Yeah, need direct yeah. hands-on contact. Absolutely. With the yeah. nurse at some time of the day, every day. Yeah. And you only, and for have, and you only have one nurse. Period. We have one nurse, we have 1.3 of a nurse, right? So, as you know, where we're located, we're right next door to Scalena, which is the, the, the primary school for children with a mild intellectual disability, and we're across the road from Skull Bernadette, which is the secondary school for children with a mild intellectual disability. And so we have one nurse, um, Maureen, who, who goes between the three schools, and she is, if you like, responsible for the seven classes for children with a moderate intellectual disability and um, Fiona, the other school nurse, is the nurse for the children with a severe or profound intellectual disability, which we call the special classes. So Fiona looks after the special classes. Okay, right? so Fiona would Leah's Fiona in, yeah. be, yeah, she'd be the nurse that would normally look after Leah, correct? Exactly, okay. exactly. Oh, but sure. she has 48, uh, 47 other children as well that she must obviously keep an eye on and, and, and attend to. Now, and as, as Leah's mom, Michelle, right, rightly said there, when the nurse was first employed, um, when, um, there was two special classes. There's now eight. And oh, as, as you know, like it just, it just doesn't make sense. And to be fair to Cope Foundation, they're trying to be as supportive as, as they can, but they desperately need nurses yeah. for themselves. So when this happened, right, as I, I had known that um, 
uh, there was two previous applications had gone in. The board, the board of management, obviously, we, we, we were appalled. So we said we would, of course, continue the traditional route of applying through COPE, but we'd also try and apply for a school nurse directly ourselves. So we contacted, it's a case of who we didn't contact now at this stage, but obviously we went to the HSE. Um, and we, I finally made contact with, with the disability officer there, had a lengthy conversation with him. My first question to him, was are you responsible for sanctioning nurses for, for the school and he said I am and so I said great and explained it very sympathetic and a month later he came back and said that I got an email back saying it wasn't his remit. Now yeah. that's another month that Leah had gone without school. Yeah. Can I just, you know? just jump in on one, one question here that's coming up mm-hmm. on, on the calls Anne and, and Michelle yeah. you're still there so you'll agree yeah. we've talked about the SNA and the teacher Mm-hmm. The skill, the the skill involved isn't isn't enormous. It's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Someone's asking mm-hmm. the question here. The rules don't allow the SNA or the teacher to feed the child. It, it must be the nurse. Who, who made that rule, Anne? Well, you see, it's because of the safety, PJ, right? Now, I contacted all the national schools, um, who, which are the same as St. Paul's, that cater for children with a moderate severe to found intellectual disability. And it is only nurses who administer a blended feed. Now, not a peg feed, a blended feed in all of those schools, right? So, and that's what the nurses are trained and, for. And, and is that a written down guideline somewhere? I would imagine it is It is within the nurse's remit, yeah. you know. It is a nurse's role. And you see then you could say, ah, look, we'd let... But God forbid if something happened, the, you know. The, the, therein lies the rub, I suppose, Michelle. Like, you have yeah. the SNA and the SNA and the teacher take it. Yeah. I mean, SNA is, God almighty, they're, they're, they're world changers. Like, they... they absolutely, absolutely. You know, they're, they're, and they're, and it, I can tell you, PJ, it broke their hearts as well. SNA changed the world every day. But, exactly, but exactly. They, if anything went wrong, if something goes wrong while a nurse is doing it, that's See, it's okay. Considered, it's considered, yes, it, well, God, it's, it's never okay. You know, you know what I mean? You know what I do, of course. I yeah. do, of course. But it is, it is a nurse's um, um, responsibility. Only a, only a nurse may do it. And that's across the board in all of the, the special schools, you see. And obviously what happens in a home can often be very different. Course, and, and, and Michelle and I, of course, have spoken about this as, as to what happens in a school. But what, what absolutely flummoxes me is that one post one additional post because and, and, and I must say there are other Michelle is absolutely right in what she's saying with, about the blended diet for Leah she's thriving on it and she's absolutely why should she change it Indeed. you know what I mean when she's thriving so, so and there are other children who will be on blended diets because they are so successful and they seem to be taking know? off a lot and poor Fiona yeah. is worked into and, the and ground running wrong Exactly. And the, 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 the point about it is, and need I say, PJ, we looked at, like with Maureen, who's an amazing nurse as well, we looked at every which way we could figure this out, you know, and it's just, there's too many children, you know, to, 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 do, to administer this safely. They're just, they're, just, they're just not the supply of nurses that you, that you absolutely need. And I'll leave it there with you, and thank you for taking our call, Anne Hartner, Principal of St. Paul's. Back to you briefly, Michelle. You're, you're a gorgeous little girl. I saw her picture on the paper. She's missing out terribly here. She is. It's, it's not fair. She's sitting at home looking at the four walls of this house day in, day out. I work full-time. 
I have Jack and Jill nurses that come in and care for her, but it's not the same as going to school. No. You know, it's like Groundhog Day for her. Her, mm. her, she, she, she used to light up going to school, get collected on the bus in the morning. All the little kids that could talk would be telling her how beautiful her bow was because she'd have a different bow on her hair every day. Leah would be beaming going off in the bus and she'd come home smiling. And I'd get pictures from school of her doing different things during the day on seesaw, um, different therapies, foot foot massages, um, painting. I'm after getting numerous paintings back from the school that I framed, wow. things that Leah's done. Wow. And... Um, I know that Leah can understand certain things I say because I just know, you know she understands. Mommy knows. Mommy I know. Knows. And um, mm. I feel like she's missing out on the opportunity to possibly get to learn how to use an eye gaze system. You know, I would love someday if Leah could answer one of the questions that I ask her every day, even if it was just yes or no. I know. I know. You know. I do. I so, uh, I just want her to get back to school and be like everyone else. And the school wants her back. And just enjoy her life. And yeah. the school wants her back too. All right, Michelle, it's it's just another one of those problems that could be solved, but those who make the decisions aren't making them on your behalf or for you. And don't seem to care about your gorgeous little girl. They just don't. Michelle, thank you very much. And uh, thank you to Anne Hartnett, principal of St. Paul's. People asking if the mom can do it, surely the SNAs and other people should be able to do it. We've gone mad with rules, regulations and audits. We have, Kate, unfortunately, that is it. The blended feed, only a nurse, only a nurse can do it. It doesn't mean only a nurse is able to do it. It means only a nurse is allowed to do it. There is a lot of that. But you already have the other story. The bigger problem is that Fiona, the school nurse, is run into the ground already. The poor woman is working down to the bones of her knees, trying to get around to everybody every day at every time they need it. So that school needs another nurse and needs it pronto. 0818969696. Corks 96 FM invites you to run the Cork City Marathon. Register at corkcitymarathon.ie for Sunday, June 4th. Do it now with Corks 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. People who pay their rent through the post office have had 50 euro taken out of their 200 euro cost of living payment as well as their rent. A lot of people very annoyed this morning. No one knows why it's happened. Does anybody know what's going on? That's... Are you saying today was the day, this week is the week when this extra cost of living payment for people on, on certain social welfare allowances, that was to be paid this week? That was to land for the likes of disability and, and, and that sort of thing. So what you're telling me, I think, here is that as well as the rent being taken out, which is fine, taken out through the post office, 50 quid of the 200 
additionally paid this week has been taken out as well. We know not for what I take that. Anyone else know what that's about? What is going on? Let us know if you can, please. 0818969696. If there's anybody listening in a post office who can explain it, they might be the best people. Give us a call or text a WhatsApp to 0833969696. Certainly let us know what's happening there. 0818969696. I don't know about you, but I just paid my new car insurance premium. It's high enough. Um, I'm doing my best to shake off a few points at the moment. Hopefully they'll be gone very, very soon. But while they're there, you pay a bit more. What I got, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. But there's a levy going out of everybody's insurance policy to cover the cost of uninsured drivers. And there's a set of figures have come out in the last few days that over the past five years... 819 claims have been made in Cork involving uninsured drivers. That's 180 claims a year. That's three claims a week involving uninsured drivers having accidents around Cork City and County. That is putting up everybody's insurance of between 150 and 175 euro, according to figures just out this week. Joined by uh, transport commentator and consultant Connor Faulkner. And Connor, we all know we're paying for the uninsured driver as well as paying our own insurance, but that that's that's a lot of money. Good morning. Yes, good morning, PJ. Uh, it, it's annoying, isn't it? We've been carrying the cost of uninsured drivers for years. We don't usually see it or notice it. Um, but the calculation in Charlie Weston's article in the Indo yesterday is very good because it kind of makes it stark. Over a period of five years, if you've been paying for motor insurance every year for the last five years, then when you add it up, you've actually paid about 150 quid into the kitty that everybody pays into. And that kitty called the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland pays out when an an accident happens with an uninsured car. And so every time an uninsured car causes a claim, the money comes out of that kitty and it's, and it's essentially paid for by all the law-abiding drivers. So the root cause of the problem is we have this rump of uninsured driving. That's not a new problem. We've kind of had it for years, PJ. Yes. Um, but it's definitely at a high level. It could be anything between 6% and 8% of all vehicles, which seems like a crazily high amount. Um, and, you know, there are different types of uninsured driving. There's the out-and-out gougers who've, you know, no tax, no NCT, no insurance, and couldn't give a damn. Um, but in fairness, there aren't that many of those. There are also people who let the insurance lapse, uh, or maybe it's the son driving the car, uh, um, and, and he's not on the parents' insurance. That would be quite a common one. Um, all sorts, all sorts, uh, hidden in those numbers. But they add up to too high a number. The amount of uninsured cars, uh, for good reasons and bad, they're out on the road day after day. It's just far too high. It, sh- it just should not be that high. Uh, and it's lower in other European countries. And it's, uh, you know, perennially something we have to get our act together on. But it hasn't been any better in the last 20 odd years. It's been with us a long time, this problem. Driving without insurance is a criminal offence, isn't it? It is, of course, yeah. And as I say, there's good reasons and bad. You know, there's people who are flagrantly 
um, not paying for insurance. I'd say all sorts of people do that. It's disappointing when they do, uh, like dodging taxes. It could be your neighbour. Uh, so the image it calls to mind tends to be, uh, you know, the gouger, the, uh, you know, the out and out ne'er do well with a, a bad car and no insurance of any sort and no tax. And uh, I would say, and well, those people do exist. Uh, it's kind of all sorts, and it's very difficult for the Gardaí to detect. Um, and you know, the, the modern solution to that is a modern database system yes. where the camera in the Garda's car reads the registration number and is able then to check against an insurance database and see as the car goes by whether it's insured or not. Uh, Gardaí have some of that capability, but it's a bit lumbering and slow. And just generally speaking, enforcement has has never been strong enough in that area. Not compared to other countries, not compared to um, the continent of Europe broadly. Um, but yeah, it's not a uniquely Irish problem, but we're not good at it. Like, technology does exist, doesn't it, Connor? to mm-hmm. scan a car's number plate, identify within a couple of minutes at least, if not a few seconds, whether that car carries an insurance policy. And then when the person driving the car is asked their name, you can then double-check whether they are named on an insurance policy for that car. You can do all that at the side of the road. Yeah, no, and no issue with the technology, provided the Garda have it. And the Garda Traffic Corps and their vehicles do have that technology. There's several hundred of those uh, cameras deployed, but they're only as good as the underlying database. And for a long time, the underlying database just didn't work well enough. I mean, at one stage, this is going back a number of years now, PJ, but at one stage they had, uh, uh, you know, they were testing the system and Gardaí were reporting that it, it was effectively useless because it was pinging all the time, uh, giving so many false positives from the database that it was just impractical to use. Um, now, it's in better condition now, uh, and in fact, the motor tax database is very strong. So an untaxed car driving around, uh, you've only to pass a Garda car and there's every chance uh, the Garda on board will realise it's an untaxed car. So enforcement is getting a little better. But it's disappointing that the numbers of uninsured drivers should remain so high while we are improving on enforcement. Um, And maybe just by way of context, uh, PJ, it's not a uniquely Irish problem. It's a very similar problem in the UK. Maybe they're slightly better on the numbers, um, but a similar problem in the UK and and, and similar again in in other places in continental Europe. Other than, like you say, the the, the complete gouger who just Mm. couldn't care about anybody. Has there been research done into the other reasons why people might let insurance lapse? They might think, I would think one thing, they might think, for example, that uh, the, the date means the end of the month, not the actual day of the month. I could see that being a problem. Yeah, or, or or they may just, you know, be, be unable to pay the motor insurance renewal yeah. and, and have to put the bill off and have to put the bill off. And then, oh, mother of Jesus, I'm after putting the bill off now for four months. Now I have to get a new insurance. And while all that is going on, the car is uninsured on the road. Uh, you might sort of innocently say, you know, we're moving from one insurance company to another because, you know, we got a better quote and X, Y and Z. No, I, did you move the insurance? I did forgot to name the spouse from the policy. Oh, my God. And then she's driving the car. So there could be all sorts of innocent reasons. You could have a company car and, you know, assume that my company employee is insured to drive that car. But no, that employee is under 25, so he's not. You know, there's plenty of innocent reasons, in a sense, or reasons of error Mm. why you might be on the road uninsured. Uh, But there's a difference between, you know, 
innocently driving uninsured, if you like, uh, and there just being no insurance provided. There's also things um, slightly more sinister. There are things like ghost broking and fake insurance that exists out there. Um, And sometimes that's in, you know, individual communities. You might have somebody who acts as a quasi broker um, for, you know, a network of people, whoever it might be. And, um, and, you know, actually this guy is, is not buying proper insurance policies or, you know, for example, he might fill out an insurance form that gives an absolutely perfect ideal risk just to get an insurance disc, but he might have lied about everything on it on the form. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of, of, of behaviours like that that go on. Some of them are, are literally criminal. Uh, there's fraud going on. And sometimes the driver of the car is the victim of that fraud, is, is not yes. the gouger. Uh, but all sorts of reasons, all sorts of reasons. And as I say, when, when things like that occur uh, and, a, and a claim is made, the money has to come from somewhere. And for many, many years now, where that money comes from is, is a levy on all honest insurance policies uh, that goes into a kitty. Um, and, and, and we've been carrying that cost in good times and bad for many years now. How much of it is down to the, the sheer cost of premiums themselves, Connor. As I said, I'm currently trying to shake off a couple of points and they'll be gone mm. soon enough and I, I expect it you know, to, to be back to normal then. And I'm okay with yeah. that. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But overall, overall quotes, like someone mm. very close to me who has a four-year no-claims bonus, mm-hmm. faultless driving, mm-hmm. the policy went up or the premium went up like 180 quid for no good reason well I, I, I don't know of a good reason for that uh, other than sometimes if you're just going on the quote engines or the renewal notice that the, the, the data machine spits out at you always worth querying that always worth querying that but generally if you're shopping the market now and this is just true PJ um, we happen to be in relatively good times for mm-hmm. motor insurance not for most other bills um, you know you're, you're, don't mention the price of the diesel in the last couple of years but motor insurance has actually actually been trending down. Okay. There was a report out this week to show that it's down overall by 5% this year. Uh, now, you get good times and bad. It will no doubt trend up again at some stage, but it has been trending down. And it's also encouraging that things like the uh, compensation claims costs um, on foot of improved personal injury guidelines, etc. There's good indicators that those costs are coming down also. Uh, so those are all good things. And as I say, to some degree, Garda enforcement's getting better, although that leg of the stool isn't standing up particularly well at the moment. Um, but, but generally, you know, I've, I've been watching motor insurance prices for 30 years, PJ, and on, on a broad cycle of five to seven years, they, they, they gradually go up and they gradually come down. We all scream about them when they're going up. Yeah. Um, and they fall off the radar as an issue when they're going down. But I'd say this uninsured driving phenomenon Isn't is helping. an issue that's been with us in good times and bad. In terms of those, lastly and briefly, the, the cost of claims coming down, mm-hmm. I read a number of articles of late, Connor, where a claim goes to the PIAB, the Personal Injuries That's board, right. Okay? It does, yeah. And it then the board assesses the claim and it comes back and the number of those assessments being rejected seems to be going up, am I right? Uh, 
Um, well, only slightly. Uh, that's kind of deep in the detail of it. Um, but the process, the, the um, PIAB process, if you like, uh, broadly speaking, works very well. Um, it, it's ideal where there's no fault or dispute as to liability and where the injury is minor. But many, many times, I mean, far too many times, well over the majority of cases, people also consult a solicitor um, and in that process, claims get delayed, um, solicitor seeks to increase the compensation being paid out. Sometimes that works for the punter, sometimes it doesn't, but always it delays the process uh, and always it adds cost into the system. So bane of our lives for many, many years, just, just, just getting that legal process out of the system because ultimately all it does is add cost. Uh, and the, the, you know, the people in the food chain providing the money for that is the insurance punter. Um, so, you know, that's been a long, long, process of, of kind of reform and, and conversation to improve and panel beat the system. It still isn't perfect. Um, but PIAB is, and listen, I'm conflicted here, PJ. I, I actually do serve on the board of PIAB. Okay. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it's one of those bodies that I, I cheered it into existence when it came about. And it has definitely, definitely helped. Um, but, but we still don't have a perfect system. Okay. All right, Connor, thank you for your time today. Connor Faulkner, transport commentator and consultant. You are paying... Uh, in your insurance every year for those who don't get insured. And there are people who unconsciously do it, who do it out because they can't afford it. There are gangsters out there doing it, but we're paying for it. Those of us who pay our car insurance every year, we're paying for it. And over the last five years, we paid up to 175 quid extra on our uh, insurance policies. Thank you, Connor. 0818 96 96 96. Just coming back to Leah and her mom and the school and all of that. Councillor Michael Paul Morta was on. Forgive me, Michael Paul. Your name isn't familiar to me, but you're there. Regarding special needs nurses, I put in a motion to Cork County Council. It was unanimously carried. It asked the Minister for Special Needs Education to provide further nurses. The council will now write a letter requesting this. PJ, somebody is listening, somebody does care, and we are trying to do something about it. And Michael, Paul, Morta, thank you for that. I have no doubt that you care. I have no doubt that you're doing all you can. The problem is when the parcel gets to the top of the pile, it gets tossed around and very little gets done about it, unfortunately. I'm not saying this is from Pascal. And I don't have an answer to this one, Pascal. I'm sure there's some practicality involved that would make it impossible. I'm not saying she should have to, but is there any way the mom could go in and feed her? If mom is at home all day with her, would it be better to go in and feed her when it's lunchtime? Obviously, the government should just pay for a second and maybe even a third nurse if needed. It's a disgrace, but could mom go in and feed her herself? Probably 101 practicalities there that say that she couldn't, Pascal. But your point is noted, and thank you. Still trying to find out what's happening with these payments in the post office. If you get your additional cost of living payment on your social this week, it would appear from calls we're getting that your rent is taken out, but also 50 quid is being taken off your cost of living payment. It's happened to more than one person in one post office we're hearing of. Can anybody explain? Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96.
We think we may have an explanation for what's happening with those payments, but I'll come back to it in a second. There was a man called John Hussey, 57 years of age, a former Fianna Fáil town councillor, former chair of the town council in Formoy when there was a town council, and a solicitor by profession, has been jailed for five years at Cork Circuit Criminal Court for the sexual assault of an eight-year-old girl 20 years ago in 2003. That woman is now 27 years old. Uh, Her name is Hannah Beresford and she uh, gave evidence and indeed brought forward a victim impact statement at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. Ralph Regal writing with this in Irish Independent. Ralph, you you would have known truly through geography from my town council very well. Do, do you know John Hussey of old? Good morning. Yeah, PJ, I do. I've, I've known him for many, many years. I mean, um, back in my days when I was with the, the then Cork Examiner, we would have covered the UDC meetings and he, I was there actually when he joined uh, for my UDC. Now, he was a Fianna Fáil councillor, but he, he, became, he was actually a much longer period of time as an independent. He had left uh, Fianna Fáil after a I think some kind of an electoral row. I think he went for a, a, a nomination for local government that didn't get it and there was issues and fallout and he left the party. So for the majority of his career, he would have been an independent, but he would have been quite a, a high profile figure within the town, within North Cork. And then, of course, he would have run quite a high profile um, legal practice uh, involving both civil and criminal cases uh, in Formoy, which made, I think, this case yesterday all the more upsetting, distressing, and what really set it out was, I suppose, number one, the appalling betrayal of trust uh, that John Hussey would do this to an eight-year-old girl who was um, the daughter of very, very close family friends. I mean, the only reason that Hannah Beresford, who was eight years old back in 2003, was allowed to attend that sleepover in November was because um, the families were so friendly and John Hussey was in a position of trust. And I think the other thing that really set out the case yesterday before uh, Judge Catherine Staines uh, in Cork Circuit Criminal Court was the truly remarkable victim impact statement mm-hmm. that was delivered by Hannah Beresford, who was the judge singled her out at the end and said she was a very, very brave lady, um, not just because she waived her anonymity um, to deliver the victim impact statement, but also the range of issues that she dealt with both from how she struggled to grasp how any adult could do that to a child for their own gratification through detailing in quite painful detail, you know, the impact of the assault. An eight-year-old girl, and it affected her all the way through her. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Teens and into her, her young adult life. Uh, she's 27 years old now. She is, is living in the UK. The judge noted that she had rebuilt her life, that she now lived a very rich life. And what really came across was the incredible family. Um, that she has. She mentioned her, her mom and dad, uh, Tom and Alison, for the incredible support that they had given to her. And in very, very moving um, detail, she outlined, she said that, you know, the burden of what had happened to her, she said there were, there were times when she struggled to, to, to carry that burden. And she said on those occasions, the burden was actually carried by her parents. When and how did this all come to light, Ralph? Well, in, in, Hannah Beresford um, had been uh, assaulted at this um, sleepover. She in, she notified her parents um, about what had happened. So both the then Southern Health Board um, was notified and the Gardaí were notified. Oh, she told them However, at the time. Uh, she told them at the time, but because of her age and for a variety of other reasons, a formal statement of complaint was not made. Now, the formal statement of complaint and what happened subsequently was basically carrying this and the knowledge of what had been done to her had a significant impact on her life. And she struggled to deal with the trauma and the aftermath. In 2015, she was attending Trinity College in Dublin and she wrote a very detailed article for the college newspaper um, setting out that she had been sexually assaulted. Now, she did not name the person who had sexually assaulted her in the article, but the article certainly reached quite um, a wide circulation and the Gardaí were aware of it. Then in December of 2020, Hannah Beresford made a statement of complaint to the Gardaí. Um, in April of 2021, John Hussey was arrested and questioned. Now, throughout the questioning, he exercised his right to silence and Gardaí were given a prepared written statement and in that statement, John Hussey insisted, I did not assault Hannah Beresford. Now, a file was submitted by the Gardaí to the DPP and directions were received in September of 2021. Now, in May of 2022, a charge was formally brought against John Hussey in the district court. And then when he appeared and he was returned uh, to the circuit criminal court on January the 31st of this year. And when he appeared before the circuit criminal court and PJ, he entered a guilty plea and he voluntarily surrendered his bail, which meant that he was taken into custody on January the 31st. Mm -hmm. And yesterday he appeared before Judge Catherine Staines for sentencing. It is because of the bravery of Miss Beresford that we are able to name him. Isn't that right? Uh, yes, I mean, in a lot of cases, victims can retain their anonymity and, and the, the perpetrator can be identified. But yesterday, it was clear that John Hussey was going to be identified 
and Hannah, Hannah Beresford. I think it's something that a lot of victims will draw great strength from. And I think um, Miss Beresford also pointed out that by, by handling matters the way she did, she was achieving a sense of freedom. In other words, she was she was getting rid of this awful burden, this awful secret that had been basically imposed on her as an eight-year-old child when, you know, in, in an appalling sense, I mean, a children's sleepover, um, this man entered the bedroom at night, um, sexually assaulted this young girl. She was left in pain afterwards. She was confused. And, you know, and she, she, she put it out, put out an, an incredible explanation of the, of the impact it actually had on her on the basis of, you know, it, it, it made her question so many things and she suffered from depression. She began to, you know, have, have concerns about, I suppose, her own body. I mean, she made a very good point during it. She said that, you know, even if her adult relationships, she said that and when she was involved, getting involved in a relationship with someone, if she believed that the person desired her, she interpreted desire as a form of threat because of what had happened to her as an eight-year-old child. Now, she did say that counselling had had tremendous benefits for her and she had drawn great strength from it. But again, she underlined the incredible and loving support that she had received from her family over many, many years. And I should point out that her brother, her parents, and um, family, friends, neighbours were in court yesterday. And it really was, I mean, I'm covering courts a long time, and it stands out as one of the most truly remarkable victim impact statements that I've ever heard. And at the end of it, almost everyone who accompanied uh, Hannah Beresford to court was in tears. Okay. Ralph, thank you very much uh, for that. Ralph Regal, uh, Southern Correspondent of the Irish Independent. And if Ralph said it was one of the most remarkable he's ever heard, he's done a lot more court. And tell me, he's done more court than I have in recent times. And fair play to her. And she is a heroine today. She is a heroine. Her name is Hannah Beresford. He is a scut. And he's gone to jail. Do you know, I'd love to speak to her. I really would love to speak to her. Um, Mary Crilly, the wonderful Mary Crilly and her team at the Sexual Violence Centre have a free phone if anything that we've been talking about has triggered any memory for you. Uh, 1-800-496-496. 1-800-496-496. I know that these conversations can be triggering. They can bring... Bring memories that people had buried for many a long day. So if you need someone to talk to after this, uh, 1-800-496-496. And we would love to, love to speak to Hannah at some point if she was available to us. 96 FM. It's a Monday game time. It's celebrities and anything to do with food. Elevadrian's one here. Kevin Double Bacon Cheeseburger. Yeah. Brad Pitterbread. Good. Uh, Goujon de Paul. Goujon de Paul. <laughs> Stephen Fryup. Yeah. John Cleese and Onion Pie. <laughs> The nail in the coffin that says I've beaten Cork in the Punday game. Three in Gokwan. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Take them on, my friend. Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Cork's 96 FM. On the electricity bills, it's the one that peop- is worrying people more than anything at the moment, I think. My bill 
for 63 days has just landed 950 euro. I do not know how I'm going to pay it. That's just one of the messages we've had this morning. On that payment into the post office, um, where they're taking 50 quid from the 200 euro top up, uh, somebody inquired into it and has called us to say, I inquired into this problem. I was told the system thinks, inverted commas, writ large, the system thinks the people got a double payment, so it's taken two weeks' rent. There was no reason given as to why the system was set up this way. I was told the people won't get that money back as a refund, but it will go towards their rent. Okay, so the social welfare system, which lands the money in the post office for you, the system then thinks you got a double payment, so it takes two weeks' rent. That would appear to be what has happened this morning. 0818 96 96 96. I warn you that this little piece of tape uh, could be upsetting. Um, But it's been going around now on social media for a week or more. It seems to be connected to another video clip that I won't mention because I can't verify that connection. But this is a video clip from, from part of Cork City about a week or 10 days ago. I'm gonna smash every one of you up. Yeah, yeah, don't you rat. Sorry, boys, go on, hang it up, boys, go on. Say sorry, say sorry, say sorry, say sorry, say sorry to me. How's everyone getting hard? Last some out of it. Now, that is a very distressing video to see. And trust me, I've edited the hell out of it so the audio is somewhat broadcastable. But it's been going around virally around Cork for the last week or so. It seems to be a punishment beating. There is a hammer involved in the video. And it seems to be to do with someone being accused of of ratting. Bernard O'Hare, you wanted to talk about that video because it's coming... These these incidents are more common than we think. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, PJ, we've been talking about this kind of stuff for the last number of years, and mostly it's connected to, you know, obviously we were talking about what goes on with vulnerable people on the street as such, homelessness, and we've also, I suppose, discussed violence in the city. And does this not prove what I was saying all along? Like, it's just, it seems the, like the propensity for violence seems to be evolving all the time. And I don't care where it's done. Um, some people, you know, you'd assume that it happens only at night or, you know, when it gets dark. They don't care anymore. As you could see that from even the video that was at the courthouse as well, you know. Yeah. That video at the courthouse, which we can describe what happens in it, but I haven't been able to verify a connection between the two, so we won't make the connection. Yeah, I don't. But, but yeah. that's in the doorway of the courthouse. A fight involving a number <laughs> of youngsters in broad daylight, and one of them gets knocked out by a chokehold. Yeah, one of them, as you can tell from the video, which was outside the courthouse there on Angus Street, they, um, a fellow, well, there was a fight on the pinball um, version of the video, you see, even in one of the videos as he was being choked out, your man, like there was a young fellow there videoing it, and you can tell, even from the way he was cheering it on, and do you know what I mean? That's just, if, if, if that's what you call a product of his environment, you know what I mean? Mm. And a lot of these young fellas are all involved in it now, and um, some as young as ten and twelve, you know, getting, you know, mm. if they're not videotaping it, they're they're getting involved in it, you know. The other one was far more violent. Like I say, it involved 
a hammer. Oh. I've some idea from just looking at the landscape of where it might have happened, but I've no intention of, of saying where I think that, yeah, that was. Sure. But it was it looked like a punishment beating. Bernard, why did it trigger memories for you particularly? Yeah, well, I was looking at it, like, and I just, I know the person invo- involved in it, obviously not going to say no names, but, um, you know, you see how violent and grotesque it was. You, you could only play so much of that audio. Um, he got an abs- he got an absolute hammer and all together. I don't mean any pun intended. Um, do you know him? But it's, it, oh, I do know him. And is he okay? Yeah. Is he okay? Well, putting on a, a, I would say it this way, but putting on a brave face. Okay. Just try to message him the other day just to see if he was all right. As I said, because I was saying from the messages that like it brings back memories of what it was like back home in Sligo. I had it done to me for years. Did you? Um, I suppose one of the first, one of the first things that got done was I think it was on about sixteen, and I got jumped by about it was about five or six of them, and absolutely left me right off up to the hospital. Uh, it started off with a, 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 I suppose, an argument, a fight between. I mean, this other fella, and I, I got the better of him at first, but I, I'd be honest with you, and I ran away. Like, I ran to, tried to run to a friend's house who was close by, but they caught up with me and ended up going to court anyways, you know. They got away with it in the end, but... Like, you've never hidden, you know, you've never heard, hidden Bernard, in fairness to you. You've never, you've never hidden the fact that, you know, in your younger years, you, you got involved in things you shouldn't have gotten involved in, and you end up tied to drugs and connected to drugs. Uh, and you, yeah. you got beaten up because of that, did you? Oh, I did. And you know, and the reason why you've been open is just, you know, PJ, we've done how many interviews and you've been to my home twice. We've had a chat outside recording the podcast and things like that as well, you know. Yeah. And um, it's 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 a very uh, damaging world because every time you see stuff like that and there's nothing been done, like I, I, uh, mine wasn't videotaped either, you know. Um, and then on top of getting the hiding that I got, I was also labelled a rat in for years in my estate. Um, all because I was underage and my dad decided to have them pressed, charges pressed, you know. So on top of that then, like, you get called names wherever you go and, you know, they, they beat you up sometimes or they take your money off you or, you know, sometimes you'd even buy drugs off them just so they'd leave you alone, you know, that sort of way. And, like, they totally extort you. What some person could pay 20 euro for, they charge you 50 euro, you know, and you do anything. You would, you do anything to get away. Yeah. And it's horrible to live like that. Yeah. And of course, um, you can't really go make a statement about it because then you are ratting on people. And if they don't go to jail, which yeah. unfortunately a lot of the time they don't, uh, they're out looking for you. And even if they do go to jail, they have friends who look for you. Oh, yeah. Well, look, uh, I suppose, uh, again, um, I can only talk from experience and that's how I suppose gather the information how I'm able to talk to you about this different stuff. If you go back to 2010 as we've discussed a few times when I had to end up leaving Sligo and yes. a lot of people in Cork, Cork people are very inquisitive <laughs> by nature to be like, oh, what's your name? You're like Barnard and oh, what are you doing? Oh, where are you from? I'd say Sligo and it's like, what are you doing in Cork? And I found that even, and I suppose people can call me a coward and call me what they want, but I ended up having to run because of it. You know, um, I was faced with the prospect of having to make a statement, but, you know, to say what was going on, my, my life was actually under threat. There was people trying to kill me. There was people threatening to kill me. There was, you know, there was drug deaths. There was loan sharks. There was just mm. everything that could have went wrong went wrong. 
think you 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 in had crossed end, you had crossed people that it was unwise to cross. Well, uh, yeah, and a lot of them have been discussed an awful lot, and one in particular lately with Nicola Talent there in through the Sunday World. Mm. You know the 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 arms that they have are are they stretch pretty far, you know, and so again the result of getting involved in it was was losing me home. Um, attempted suicide that night because it was just, you know, you couldn't go to the guards because, you know, again, you're labelled a rat. You couldn't, you know, do anything. You're powerless, basically. So there was either, I had two options, basically, either end my life or I'd go on the run. So I tried both, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why I lost my home in Sligo. That's why I don't go home. Mm-hmm. And that's the consequences of my actions and the consequences of getting involved and how it relates to the videos and stuff like that as well. And, and this is why, I think, this is why, Bernard, people don't report crime. And a lot of people don't report crime. There's only a percentage of all no. crimes committed get reported. And one of the reasons that people don't report crime when they could is because they could end up like that chap or like you. A hundred percent. And you know the thing about what I was looking at is sometimes what with fights, how easy with that, you saw the beating that that man got, that was barbaric and you know, people have often been killed with one punches and you know, and then you look at videos like that and you know, look how easy it can happen, you know and people just don't seem to A, the people that get involved don't seem to think this will ever happen to them and B, you know, just you'll only be dragged down, you lose everything you know, and I understand why people don't go to the guards because there's only so much the guards can do. But the guards sometimes are more interested in getting you to open your mouth and then, that you know, it looks better for them. But there is no protection behind it all. And that's why myself and a lot of other people just wouldn't turn to them because yeah. you're already juiced from, from them fellas. You know, you know what they're capable of. When you see things like what was in the video and if you're followed with the same crowd, so, yeah. then you know what's coming to you. You know, and it's, again, it's either do something to yourself or go on the run, take, you know, take it off. In a way, Bernard, you see this as further validation of the argument for safe, supervised injection centres. Explain that connection for me. Well, I was I was trying to think about it the other night, you know, and, and if I can obviously get the opinion out, it's not just about safe usage. And, you know, obviously there's, there's um, you know, uh, information on drug taking. Do you know what I'm trying to say? How to mm-hmm. do correctly and all and all the rest. But the, the link to something like that is, the, it wouldn't be just, obviously, as I said, the health they can get tired for a while from there, um, that they could also have a safe space to talk about issues that are facing them as, as, as vulnerable addicts, you know, um, be it drug deaths, be it intimidation, be it threats of violence, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And, and, accept, also, and acceptance would it be, Bernard, that traditional methods have not worked and that what happened to that lad last week and what happened to you many times in Sligo is proof that the traditional methods don't work. No, and, you know, again, if you had somewhere, someone to talk to, and, and not all about, uh, you know, per se, the guards, but if you had to go to a place where you had a safe place where you could talk about what's going on, and if you feel like someone cared, then you might be more inclined to go get help. You might be more inclined to do something about it because you're living in fear of because there is no help. And therefore, I just think it would be another arm 
to deal with these kind of things, you know. And if they're been dealt with in 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 one of these centres or you know whatever the case may be, then they'll free up funds to focus on, I suppose, you know, community policing and so on and so forth. Put funds where they're they're badly needed in other areas as well, mm. because there's so many, and uh, again, young people right across the country that are getting caught up now. Right now, this minute, this day, that someone's even probably trying to figure out how am I going to get the money to the pay off this, they're threatening me, they're threatening my family, they're doing whatever, you know? Yeah. And someone and got something a, has to give. Someone got a beating last night, someone got their door, will get their door kicked in tonight, someone's friend or relative or sister will be threatened in the street tonight over these deaths. Oh, I'm telling you, and, and PJ, and this is just another thing from back home, from where I'm from, was a very rough neighbourhood. And I tell you, there was, there was three, I know five people personally that was murdered, Three of them were shot dead. Two of them were actually murdered. Another three went on to commit murder, manslaughter, you know. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of the cases were all drugs related, all drugs, feuds, everything else. Innocent people getting caught up in it as well, you know. Okay. Something, okay. any idea is better than no idea, especially since the way that our society is. Okay. It's not exaggerating. It's a bare fact. Okay, Bernard. Good always to speak with you, Bernard O'Hare, who was quite. Memories were triggered in him by that video and he knows the guy on the receiving end of that beating who I hope is making a recovery. And you, you know in your own heart why you're not going to report that. Like the best will in the world, you're not going to report that, are you? Like you're not going to totter down to the guard of the station when you've licked your wounds for a while and report that. You're not. You're not because by the time anything is done or that they can do anything... Sure, you'll have to get another hammering and probably a worse one, and that's just the sad state of affairs that it is. Uh, we have Snap the App. If you want to snap your app or download it and snap it, you'll have about three or four minutes to do it. And we have another place in the draw for another 500 quid to give away very, very shortly. So snap the app. Send it now. 083 396 Now, Vincent... Please don't name the shop. I think we've discussed that with you. But you saw something that bothered you recently. Morning. Morning, uh, PJ. Last night I went out for the paper about half nine and I was in the store in Bishopstown and they also have an off license. There was a young guy in front of me and you could see clearly he was worse for wear. He was directly in front of me. And the man inside the counter then sold him a bottle of vodka. And I was next, he went off, he staggered out the door, and I was next in the queue behind him. And uh, the first thing the guy inside the counter said to me was, <clears throat> he's off his face. Yeah. yeah. I said, yeah, he's off his face, and you just sold him a bottle of vodka. That's super, isn't it? And um, he he was taken aback by my interaction. I, I look for witnesses to, to it. Well, there's obviously a witness in the camera. But he sold a bottle of vodka to a young guy that was completely off his face, either on drink or drugs. He staggered guy out the door. Like, I have raised this issue numerous times in the media. The off-licenses in Cork and the centres and all the off-licenses are selling alcohol to people that are off their head on drink and off their head on drugs. Last night was a clear example of a store selling alcohol 
to somebody who is off their face. Yeah. The result of this is the result. The result of this is stabbings, sexual assaults, assault, uh, breaking into places, and you look at all the uh, the, 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 the the like the, the domestic disputes that the Gardaí are called to every single day in Cork. It's more often than not, it's alcohol is the cause of it. Yeah. We're heading into the May weekend now. And we're heading into summer. And you have a huge increase in the off-license trade. And I can tell you for a fact, the off-license are selling alcohol to people who should not be getting it. And they're throwing it over the counter. And this excuse that, oh, I'm afraid to give it to them. No. These people, you must bring it to the letter of the law. Yeah. If somebody is drunk, you can't sell them alcohol. Well, I, I know. I know that in a pub, that 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 counts. That's the law I, of a pub. You can lose your publican's yeah. license if you if you do I that. I rang the guardie. I rang the guardie in Toker. They can't do anything about it. The only people you can ring, he said, is some authority, a licensing authority, and report it. And I think you can go to court the next time whenever their license is due for renewal, and state. Well, why why can't the guards do anything about it, Vincent? Did they, they, they tell you? They can't. I think they can. What they can do, I think. They can do undercover work in pubs, as far as I know. Now, I'm not 200% sure on that, but the Gardaí last night said, that's not their baby. They, they, they don't police that. They don't do that. Okay. Obviously but it doesn't but the, issue, the issue, like here we have a case where the, the big multiples and the off-licenses are abdicating their responsibility. The bottom line is here, the guy that was talking about drugs, the one difference between cocaine or drugs and alcohol one is legal and the other is illegal. Mm. Alcohol, alcohol is an addictive, poisonous substance. And you fire alcohol into people that are already drunk or high on drugs. You are, it's like adding a grenade to somebody. Yeah, and yeah, here, yeah. Here, here we have the cause of all the problems in the city that people are falling around the place drunk because the off-licenses are not taking their responsibility seriously. Okay. I have raised this issue back in the past, I know I'm 100% right, and I saw, it's on camera, what I saw last night in Bishopstone. Well, I appreciate that you're just naming the area, Vincent, and I appreciate very much that you're not naming the store. Um, we know who it is, but you're not naming it, but it was certainly something that you witnessed, and like you said, it's captured on somebody's CCTV somewhere. Have you ever seen that, though? Someone in your local off-licence? Clearly the worst for wear getting sold. And what are the rules? If anybody there is listening, Vincent's back, let him go actually. Thank you, Vincent. Anybody who is listening with regard to being an off-licensed owner, operator, does the law cover you? Like, are you supposed to refuse someone who already is clearly the worst for wear? In a pub you are, but in an off-licensed, maybe not so much. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 told the story this morning. Leah is fed a special blended diet 
through a tube and it requires the nurse at St. Paul's School where she goes, wonderful school, to administer her feed a couple of times a day. Simple truth of the matter is the poor misfortunate nurse is already worked to the bone and just can't be there for Leah when she needs it. The teacher and or the SNA could administer the food, but the rules don't allow that. It must be the nurse's job. The school are looking for a second nurse, not just because of Leah, but because of the other children, huge number of children that need a nurse on the premises all day, every day. They have something like 30 something children that need to have a nurse around them all day, every day at some time of the day. They have 1.3 nurses, like whatever 0.3 of a nurse is, I do not know. They share another nurse who pops in a couple of times a day, but it's not the same. They need a second nurse. They're looking for funding for a second nurse. And didn't you know it? They can't get funding for a second nurse. A lot of people taking up the cause, but when these causes get to the top of the table, they get passed around the table like a roasting hot potato that nobody wants to grasp. Nobody wants to be the one who spent the money. And that's just how it happens. Leah's story says, Anne, are we surprised by this? What's the common denominator? The HSE office pen pushers who work nine to five, five days a week. Their work is done. Their briefcase is closed and they don't care about the families. I hope that Leah and her school friends get extra help. But there's that too, Anne, but there's also the fact that the budget is the budget and the money is the money and everything, everything is seen as a cost. And the idea that you'd have a nurse, trust me on this, the idea that you'd have a second nurse in a school who might have time to scratch her arse once a day rather than have one there that is working a full day. Oh God, they couldn't countenance that. The, the business... The, the pen pushers and the bean counters couldn't countenance the fact that the two nurses between them might get it all done. They couldn't. Cost too much. We really hope something is done for Leah. I think the saddest part is that the rules just don't allow another person to administer her feed. But it is what it is. And we spoke to Anne, who's the principal of the school, and they just wouldn't be let do it. For safety reasons, health and safety reasons, I guess. 0818 96 96 96. I started this morning by asking you about the stuff that you really cared about. You know, how much of what you hear in your morning news at nine o'clock or read in your morning paper or see on the television when you switch on the TV for the morning update at eight o'clock or whenever you do it, how much of that do you actually care about? Um, are we, we can be very self centred and care only about the stuff that, that bothers ourselves but in general how much of what's in the daily news do you care about Michael will be on with me in a minute about a story that broke on Monday that I hadn't heard and I did ask myself the very same question that Michael asked himself why didn't I hear about that why did nobody hear about that I'll come to that in a while but the one we all seem to care about at the moment is the price of electricity. And when this one came out yesterday morning, my head kind of went up and said, oh, we always knew. But officially, we're now told that our electricity prices in Ireland are the most expensive in Europe. Almost twice the European average. And that's according to a household energy price index which is an international survey of what we as families 
are paying for our lecky. It has almost doubled in the past year for some people. And this is all despite the various credits given to us by the government. It was in the Irish Independent. Uh, it went across the EU. The cheapest is Hungary at 9.2 cent a unit. I don't use kilowatt hour. I know I should, but unit is a unit. Uh, Ireland, ours are 49.9 cents a unit, which is nearly twice the, Euro, the EU the EU average. I'm joined by uh, Sinead Ryan, who is consumer journalist uh, in the Irish Independent. Sinead, there's no good news coming for anybody soon, is there? Good morning. Good morning. I know, PJ. Yes, no, it is quite startling. My colleague, Charlie Weston, has uh, written a front page piece on it in the Irish Independent. Uh, and, and look, this is no surprise in one sense, uh, but we we don't like to top this list. I mean, we all know there isn't a family out there who doesn't know how much their energy bills are costing. Uh, and we're also very, very high, not just on the electricity, but also on gas costs. So the unit price that most people pay, and remember, it's a very variable number, depending on what tariff you're on, is 49.9 cent in Ireland. The average across the EU is 28 cent. So it, it's nearly a doubling. And uh, and that certainly is very, very worrying and a little bit shocking, maybe, um, for families. There will be explanations given or reasons given as to why we are at the top of this table. Yes, and the reasons are valid. Uh, whether they stand up to investigative scrutiny is something that I think maybe this story will propel maybe the government to to look into it a little bit more. But certainly Ukraine has caused a huge upset in that market. Now, that's true, of course, for every country in Europe. We are more reliant on transporting our energy uh, to get to us than other countries because of course it has to cross the sea we rely on piping from uh, the UK so Brexit has had an impact there and also from Norway Um, we don't produce enough renewables and for all the times you hear about companies banging on about you know uh, green energy and 100% this and that that's really doesn't cover all the bases. We don't have nuclear energy in this country and we don't seem to want it. So lots and lots of ways we are kind of shooting ourselves in the foot in one sense um, by not uh, not having enough to do. Now, the renewables thing is definitely increasing, um, but we're not where we need to be yet. And therefore, there's a huge reliance on the importation of fossil fuels, of oil. We do produce a lot of gas in this country. We mm. don't produce any oil and we have to bring it in. And therein lies the problem. People are ringing me every week with electricity bills they can't sustain, not just households, but businesses too. This is going to send out a very strong message to the government. You need to do something. It is. And the government would respond by saying, look, we gave you 600 euros per household in energy credits. You'll recall there was an extra 200 to bring that up uh, due, but it was scuppered um, mainly by the Green Party and possibly will move now to the October, November cycle of billing. We'll wait and see that with bated breath. But also some of this will be temporary PJ. And that's because uh, one of the excuses slash reasons that uh, the energy companies are giving um, as to why the price is so high is that they have to hedge their prices well in advance. So it's a bit like buying next summer's stock in a clothes shop. Mm. You, you have to kind of guess what people are going to be wearing and what colours they're going to And you have to plan that in advance. And when it comes to oil in particular, um, hedging and, and electricity supply, hedging is a really important part of any supplier's uh, work. And there's a little bit of guesswork about it. There's a little bit of a lot of uncertainty, uh, but they, you know, given the size of the market, 
we are. We don't get to call all the shots on that. Now, a lot of the hedging that took place from last year will be running out. So new contracts will be signed. Companies are going to have to renegotiate. And you may see now with oil prices falling and with uh, the cost of energy beginning to drop again, that they'll start getting better deals. But it takes a long time for that filter through to your house and to my house. What drives people mad entirely is when they read that the wholesale price of electricity, we're going back to the levels that was pre-Ukraine. Yes. And, and of course, you know, those people that sell oil um, and, and there's not that many countries that do, as we know, uh, unfortunately, uh, will say that the market is in their hands and uh, that they can sell for whatever they will get for it. And, and you know, that remains, you know, it sounds glib, but that remains the cornerstone of how of how this works. Now, we are seeing, for instance, in a, in a purer way, petrol prices coming down at the pumps. Now, I say coming down, of course, from the highs of, do you remember they went went over two euros okay. at one stage okay. last year. So people are beginning to look at it about 150 to 160. Um, that is a much purer evidence of where oil pri- prices is going because it's much more immediate. They have to get that filled up much more regularly than the big energy suppliers would be selling us electricity. So people will say it has, it, it's now where it was uh, but it's come down from that extraordinary high. And the same is true uh, for the filtering in of electricity prices. But actually, all that is by way of saying there is no excuse for us to be quite topping this table to the extent we are. And a lot of it is to do with the, you know, the apathy of customers themselves, something like 14 percent. So just over one in 10 of us are prepared to switch our electricity yeah. provider. There's lots and lots of companies out there. And I know there's an argument, oh, they're all the same, but but they're not. And some of them want your business more than others. And even if we can't win on price, we can switch and get a free gadget or a hundred quid here or there. Take the bribes. That's my message. Uh, And do be prepared to switch because if companies see that happening, they will have no choice but to respond. The thing is, Sinead, and I've spoken to my listeners here about when I did that, I decided in late 2021, that I was going to move and I saved a lot of money in, in the months following that. I'm trying to move at the moment and those good deals are gone. Yeah, well, a lot, there are deals out there, but the problem is that, you know, companies are all now facing exactly the same problems. So any companies that believe we've reached our customer quota this year or we have reached our new business targets this year aren't going to be punting out for deals on that. Uh, so it really can be often a case of shopping around. And remember, a number of providers have already left this market. So that's kind of narrowed the gap a little bit with what's left over. Uh, So it is a case of kind of a a mixture of looking at deals, switching when you're out of contract, and also how we're using our energy uh, at home. Uh, Now, coming into the summer, one hopes, although not so much in, in electricity as in gas, that those energy costs will come down. I know lots and lots of people, and I'm one of them. I've got rid of the tumble dryer big energy cost. It's gone. Uh, We're very careful with the immersion, you know, with the showers coming on in the Mm. morning, all that kind of thing. They're small, small steps in the grand scheme of things, but they absolutely make a difference. Do you think, lastly, that we will begin to benefit before the end of the year, even from the drop in wholesale? Uh, it remains to be seen. I, I expect, unless there's any new bumps on the road, and remember, interest rates 
uh, going up is another big factor because any of these companies that have debts or loans out, and most of them will, they'll see their costs going up to service those loans. So that'll have a kind of a corollary impact on it. Uh, If oil prices continue to to come down and and they are allowed to do so by the big oil producing countries, uh, well then, yes, it should filter through. But that's not really in their interests, is it? Uh, So I think we need to look out for a new energy credit. We haven't been great. The government's been super at telling us how wonderful it is to give us these 200 euro drops. But in fact, um, we're not even mid-table with what other countries like Germany have offered to their citizens. So I think a lot more pressure, certainly as we enter the autumn winter cycle, uh, on on looking for uh, energy credits, which is, of course, itself inflationary, but it certainly helps families on on the day. And and I think there'll be pressure on to do that. And of course, the budget will be coming up in October and there may well be something tied in there too. But, But no good news at this stage anyway. Sinead, thank you very much. Thank you, PJ. Yeah. Sinead Ryan, uh, consumer journalist with the Irish Independent. No good news coming. I was looking again at how much your household, your daily household stuff costs you. And at least the weather is improving slightly now. In fact, Alan O'Reilly, I see on Carla Weather predicting silage weather for early next week. Silage weather is good news. Yes, I know the farmers do the silage, but silage weather is good news because it can get warm and dry. Uh, They need it to be warm and they need it to be relatively dry to cut the silage. So with a bit of luck, silage weather is coming uh, over the next uh, seven or eight days. Decent weekend, mixture of sunshine and showers, we're being told. In Spain, there is a heat wave coming. Now, you'd normally expect a heat wave in Spain, maybe towards the start to the middle of June, running into July. I know the Canary Islands had a particularly warm couple of weeks in springtime, but Spain in the Guadalquivir Valley, which is one of the hottest parts of Spain, they're expected to break the 40 barrier on Thursday or Friday. Uh, That's up from the last record breaker of April, which was 37.4. So there to, But anyway, that's going to bring this African plume up. Will it warm up our weather eventually? One doesn't know. But certainly it's getting hot. And yes, this is climate change in action. But we all, none of us will turn down a bit of nice weather either. And I think it is okay. I've often said this. I think it is okay to be understanding of the problems of, ch- of climate change. But in the same breath, like to see a bit of de- decent weather. I think it's perfectly okay that way. So we could get some decent weather after the weekend um, from next week, which means, coming back to where I was about two minutes ago, we won't have to use the tumble dryer because that great big blood-soaking demon is one of the most expensive things in your house. And I was looking at a comparison that Energia did recently of all of the appliances in your house. Now, I don't know how often you use your washing machine if you're a few adults or a few children in the house, I suppose the washing machine is going at least once a day, not more, or a couple of days a week at least. The washing machine's okay. That costs you about 50 cents an hour if you're using an average wash, not particularly hot or anything. About 50 cents an hour, depending on the model, between 40 and 60. Dishwasher, by the way, is roughly the same. The tumble dryer. This is why you want the weather to improve and get the clothes out on windowsills or on lines or whatever you have outside or put a clothes horse out in the sun. 
the tumble dryer is 130 to 150 an hour depending on the model. So we'll say 140 an hour for a tumble dryer, which nearly trebled the price of the washing machine. So stop using the bloody tumble dryer. Don't use it if you don't have to use it. It's an expensive divil. The immersion is the next more the, the next most expensive thing in the house. But the electric shower, and look, I have one every morning. I can't leave the house without one. I have a shower every morning at whatever stupid o'clock I get up. And it probably costs me about 40 cents every time I pop into the shower because the shower is three euros per hour. So a six to eight minute shower in the morning costs you about 40 to 50 cents. But you can, watching the telly is something you can do very cheaply. But watch that tumble door. Watch that tumble door. It's costing you an absolute fortune. 0818 96 96 96. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. It's week two of Snap the App. There's five hundred euro up for grabs every evening on the show, and you could be our next big winner. Download the Corks ninety six FM app, and I could be calling you next. Listen in to win every weekday from four. The big drive home with Nyan Motors, your number one for Kia in Cork. Corks ninety six FM. Credit where it's due. Um, for this this one we wouldn't have known about it I don't think had it not been for Joe Duffy of all people because Joe broke this story earlier in the week and I was listening to it at home and I thought why didn't I hear that there was a soldier a former soldier a guy called Jimmy Nickel drowned in the River Liffey in the early hours of Easter Saturday Saturday April 8th he had jumped in to secretly save another man who'd gotten into difficulties. And the two of them drowned. Um, we, we don't know the name of the other person. Gardy haven't released that name. But Jimmy Nickel was a former soldier who'd fallen on hard times. He'd battled with addiction. He'd been homeless for many years. He was walking that night with his partner and saw the chap in difficulty and went to jump into the river. I think the last words he spoke to anybody was, look, I'm, I'll, I'm an army I'll be able to get him. And we know what happened. Terrible tragedy. Two men lost in the river in the middle of the night on the 8th of April. But it took until the 24th of April for any of us to hear about it, which is very strange. And Michael, that's one of the reasons you contacted us. Why did it take so long for us to hear about a tragedy like that it, happening? It, it seems it seems we were looking, we were listening to the same program, PJ. And, and are, I must say, I, I was quite surprised also because, in fairness, in fairness now to the Irish media and Irish journalists, they're highly respected uh, all over the world for the work they have done and what they produce. And I know from from days of old that uh, you know various outlets and newspapers would. Uh, in the early hours of the morning, contact, uh, let's say, emergency services, fire brigade, guardy, hospitals. Still happens, to, Michael. To, Still happens every morning. So it, it seems that this particular tragedy, where two men lost their lives, seems to have fallen through the cracks. Yeah. And it, it's a very, a very, I would say, unusual 
situation because, you know, the media, in fairness, are on top of things. And they are there, and you probably heard on the same radio show that, you know, there was a lot of coverage of the the death of a a dog owned by the president. I heard that, I heard that. So two young men in such circumstances, particularly when there were, it would appear, quite a few people on the bank witnessing this and the emergency services called, it is just one of those bizarre incidents, bizarre, unfortunate for those two persons who died, but bizarre that that it just didn't get the, 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 the publicity at the time. Yeah. Very strange, and I don't know, you're in the line of business. I mean, how would this happen? I, it, it can right. happen, of course, human well, element. You're, human. you're right about the morning calls, Michael, and in many years in the newsroom, and indeed it still happens, coming here any morning to the newsroom, and there's a bank of calls. There's a list of numbers on the wall. There's a bank of calls that are made in the morning, and they could be made three and four times a day. Certainly when I was doing newsroom shifts, it was my first job when I come in, do the calls. You did them at the start of your shift and someone else did the mid-shift. Yeah, you yeah, did I, the calls and you'd say, Anthony Dewan. And I can't understand why a story like this... Now, it was the early morning, the early hours of Easter Saturday morning. I can't understand why this wouldn't have been on somebody's calls list by one o'clock Saturday. Well, me, me also, PJ, because like, you know, I mean, there again, like, we, we have newspapers, we have media outlets, and I'm sure they are all following the procedures that, that you have already mentioned. So how could so many uh, newspapers and so many media outlets miss this particular event? Maybe it was because of the day it was in it. Who knows? Mm. But it, it certainly is just a flabbergasting that, mm. that, that it would be missed. And most unfortunate, and particularly, you know, we have to give credit to to this young man who, who gave his life to try and save somebody else. And, you know, he has to be acknowledged for his heroics there. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Uh, and all the more reason he should have been got publicity. And I think efforts from what we gather from since, that efforts are being made to, to show, ensure that he will be acknowledged yeah, and the, there's recognized. Yeah, mo- there's a move on to get a, a but, posthumous but, but one of those tra- award. Just one yeah. of those most unfortunate tragedies that... that occurred and and didn't seem to make the news and it is just most Mm. unfortunate I was putting myself in the position here listening to it Michael having if I was coming in here like Barry does in the morning at whatever time Barry's in about sometimes it's as early as half past five or or Vic or whoever's in (laughs) you know they'd make those calls they'd make them and you'd make them again mid-morning make them again early afternoon you know and they it, like, how did this not come up in someone's calls list, be it at, I name the radio stations here, be it at, at FM 104 in Dublin, be it Q102, be it 98FM, all the local stations. On, how did it not come up on their calls list? Well, you know, it's just something that, that I'm sure, you know, very, I don't know how anybody can, can explain it, because like you said, it would be a matter of routine. In yeah. the in the circle that people will make these somebody will make these calls on behalf of their their organisation or agency, and it was just just one of those things. Maybe human, but you know, <clears throat> human human uh, human element here. But at the same time, all the media missed it. That's which, the which, point I'm trying to make. Just something Michael. that defies logic. Defies logic. Gardaí were on the scene. The, the fire service were on the scene. The ambulance uh, service were the there. Ambulance service on the scene, and yet nobody picked Rescue it up. Rescue services were there. Nobody picked it up. Nobody. So. Well, uh, and unfortunately, either nobody picked it up or nobody passed it on. 
well, you know, two people losing their lives is 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 news. It is, and and it is something that that is worth reporting. There is a story there, and particularly when when one individual went in in an attempt to save another. Yes. So I mean, there is a definite story there, a story of heroism. There's no doubt. I mean, at that hour of the morning, one fifteen in the morning, it's not everybody would feel like jumping into the river. To, 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 to have, have you thought yourself, Michael, as to what might be going on here? I, Do you think we're changing our priorities? Well, I, I don't know. I, I just think it is just one of those unfortunate incidents where it just happened that on that particular day, everybody just missed it. That's my own honest opinion, whether it's right or not, I don't know. To me, it's too big a story to miss. If that happened, if that, I I tell you something now, if that happened here in Cork, and and I was an editor on the news desk, I would go through my staff for a shortcut to know why the hell was that missed? How do we not get that? I'm sure you would, and so would most other uh, editors or those those responsible, but but, I mean, just the dumbfounding thing is, like, how could everybody have missed it? Every media outlet missed it. Very strange. Anyway, very sad and very unfortunate and, and well done to this and again, man for the efforts he Jimmy, made. Jimmy know. Nichol, former Jimmy soldier, yeah. was the man who died. The other man is not being named and we must respect yeah. that. You wanted to talk briefly, Michael, about the cost of fuel. Well, no, I was just giving you the, the update on the latest cost. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I know people just uh, contact you there from time to time and give you an update. And you saw that there was a considerable drop there in, in diesel yesterday. Mm. When I, I refueled yesterday, yeah. and diesel was down to one forty nine, so that that was a big drop from my previous. Uh, yeah, it's down a I bit. Mean, it's going to start going up again now, though, don't you? Well, we're, come, we're coming in, coming into May, there's, there's, and there's, <laughs> there's carbon very taxes coming down these days when it comes to cost of living. And my God, as you 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 regularly discussed, and you know, I'm in the supermarkets on on a regular basis, and uh, you know, and you know, you see that the mat, everything going up five cents, ten cents, you know, and it's just beginning to mount. And basic commodities like bread. <clears throat> fruit, vegetables, mm. they're all moving up, you know, very, very slowly. But, you know, I suppose production costs are increasing. We can't, you know, what can we do? It's, yeah. well, it, it is a serious problem. I mean, is, we is, have is, the housing problem, yeah. but we have the food problem also. We do, and we, have the ener- and we have the energy problem, and we have all of those things. And like that, like that, Michael, I'm sure you'll have noted like I did. Thank you for that. I'm sure you'll have noted like I did and paid attention like I did to the fact that we now have the most expensive electricity in all of Europe. In all of Europe. But that's a sad, sad story. And I do, I ask the same question as Michael, having worked in a newsroom here for long enough and knowing how news desks works and knowing how the calls, we call them the calls, it could have 10, 15 numbers that are rung three and four and five times. It's done here. It's done here every morning, every afternoon, every evening before the desk closes for the evening. They'll do it again. And that's how it's done. How the hell did this story of a man going into the Liffey to save another man who was in difficulty, the two of them drowning, how did that not get out? How did that not get out? Michael makes the point, and the very same weekend, we heard about the president's dog, or was it... Well, the same weekend or last weekend, we heard about the, the, the president's dog. The president's dog made, made national news. It wasn't surprising that it did. The president's dog making news, that's not surprising. But that this didn't 
Here's one that's just come in. Not too sure if you're correct on this. Um, from just our quick examination, it looks as if you may be incorrect, but we'll take it on anyway. In reference to Ukrainians getting driver's licenses, they don't have to go through any kind of test. Now, judging from the online system, it seems that they do, but that's your view. They're used to driving on the other side of the road. Is this safe or fair? I'm an Irish citizen. I emigrated to New York 25 years ago, obtained my New York driver's license, came back here three and a half years ago. I'm still trying to get my full Irish driver's license. I've gone through the system like any other new learner, a driver theory test, 12 lessons, and on a perpetual waiting list to get my date. Over the 25 years I've been away, I've come home several times each year to rent a car and drive on the road safely. I know how to drive here. I've been driving for the last three years on a learner's permit, for goodness sake, without incident. Is this fair? No, it absolutely isn't. No, it is absolutely not fair that you came back from the US with a full driver's license and 25 years experience and you're spending so much time trying to get on the roads here. That is not, absolutely not fair. But I'm not too sure it's the Ukrainians' fault. I, I don't think they can just get one by rocking up and asking for the one, for one. But the point is valid nonetheless. Why does it take you so long? Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, someone says here, my RTE were able to report about Michael D. Higgins' dog last week. Can't believe they missed the story about the two men who drowned in the Liffey. Not even the RTE's national news. I would have thought if that had been on an RTE national news desk, it would probably have gone to about third or fourth in the bulletin, depending on what was leading. But on a local news desk, like if that happened here, it would have led our local news bulletin all day for several days. You know, but nobody knew about it. Nobody knew about it. How did it not get out? It's not just RTE. Nobody knew about this. It's a weird, weird story. And you've got some very good news desks in Dublin, some very good local news desks, some brilliant local journalists who've worked the beat up there for years. And in the time when I used to be up and down to the dial, I got to know a number of them very, very well, really dedicated on-the-ground reporters, uh, work in Dublin for the, the main stations up there, radio and television. And this just went past everybody. It's the weirdest story, it really is. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I cannot understand how such a tragedy went unreported. I really can't. I've spoken many times to Kales Wolf, um, but you know the tragedy that affected her life with the the death of her daughter, Leanne. And we've talked about her book, "If I Could Hold You Again," which is now being optioned for a movie. Um, Kales' new book has come out now, and it's time to catch up again. The new book is called There Is Always Hope. I wasn't aware, even though we've known each other for a long time, Colette, I wasn't aware that you couldn't read or write when you were putting the first book together. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Delighted. Thank you. No, um, I just uh, learned to read and write the very basic um, when I actually wrote the book myself, uh, there is always hope. Well, when you call and wrote it now, uh, the spellings and everything, when I sent it off and it was only just uh, about a half a draft 
and I sent it to my husband, sent it to different publishers. And I remember my daughter saying, Mother, I have, uh, you know, friends that are published and they can't get published. And I said, well, I'm not to worry about that part. But within a couple of days, I had two replies, one from Hatches and one from a publisher in Northern Ireland. And uh, we met and they said that it would be great if I could, uh, if they uh, sit with a ghostwriter. And he recorded me. And that's the way we worked it. He recorded always. He stayed in my own, actually. Yeah. He came out to a hotel first and then he ended up uh, uh, staying in my home on weekends. That was If I Could Hold You Again, and that turned out to be a best-selling book. I think you made number one in the Irish charts with it, yeah. and it's been optioned now for a movie, and I wonder when that'll turn up. But that, that now to sit down and write, there is always hope. Yes. You've gone in, and you kept that secret from everybody for a very long time, that you couldn't read or write. I, I kind of was very ashamed, if I'd be truthful, PJ. You know, not being able to read and write uh, was something, when I was in school... Um, I left school very early, but I was told I was stupid. And, you know, and eventually when you're told something often enough, you believe it. So my sisters uh, and family had no problems with with reading and writing. I just couldn't understand why I couldn't. I hid it from my husband for years. Max and Spencer is where I walked. I hid. <laughs> so I was just, but, you know, I was so ashamed of it. I was so embarrassed. I, you know, for my children even, Never to be able to write a card, you know, and to say what you wanted to put on that card. I was never able to do that, you know. So. And what prompted you, Colette, to to change and to go and learn? And how did you do that? Well, to be quite honest, uh, when Leanne died, when my daughter died, um, things really went to a stage where I discovered, you know, that there was worse things than uh, death. And I found that I just didn't want to live. And it was the guard. That was on duty. That used to call twice a week, and he told us about God. To be honest, something PJ I never thought existed. No, I wasn't anti-God. I just didn't see him in my life. When you read the first book, you see I came through sexual abuse, came through rape, and you know, lost two sisters, and then I, I lost my daughter. You know, so I didn't see God in the picture when I was growing up. You know, I didn't mm. feel the comfort that people would. Well, I really wouldn't have had much really knowledge of God if I'd be truthful. I would have always said, I'm going down to hell. There'd be more fun in hell. There'd be a pack of board and parts in heaven, you know, because that's what I had religion to hold to. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until this guy, Mac Ryan, who's in the book and in the second book, um, started telling us that, you know, that God was real. And I yeah. remember thinking, my God, he must have done some education. I don't know. And I know that, you know, how could you believe in something that you don't see? Yes. And then I just took a journey, and it wasn't until I was going in my own life in the railway station, Mac Ryan could tell me all about God, but he couldn't give me God. God is a choice for each and every one of us, free will. And it wasn't until I was in that railway station going to end my life that God turned up. And, I, and, you know, and he taught me how to read and write. No one taught me God. <laughs> well, well, where did you go to learn so that God I, could teach no, but, you? You went, to, I, I, you went to CSN, didn't you? Close to I, oh, I, I went. That, that was after. I, no, when I talk and learn, now I had the basics. I went to church, and this is where God showed me a scripture that it was. I was listening to the audio Bible, and it was in the Gospel of John, and it just said the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things like that. Okay. 
God couldn't, a man couldn't teach me, my husband couldn't teach me, nobody seemed to be could teach me. And then I got the basics. God showed me the basics that I had the basics. So when I left Max and Spencer's two years ago, coming up in, in June, I decided to give CFN a ring. Very nervous now, PJ, because I didn't do no school and no secretary, no, you know, I missed out the baby school and the, the infants in school and, you know, so... But I came out, I spoke to a, a lovely woman, right. Siobhan, uh, who's a psychologist uh, uh, and counsellor here. And she was just, I just couldn't believe, you know, the response that this woman was saying, no problem. So I came out here and I met a lovely woman called Ella. And I, she told me that I would be well able. I couldn't even open a laptop. I couldn't even walk it. I never even done a, an email. You know, these things were all all things that would, would be impossible for me. So Ellis uh, signed me up for the, it's called the Back to School Initiative, Back yeah. to Education Initiative. Yeah. And I tell you, PJ, it was the most amazing experience. No, I wasn't in there because my reading and writing were bad. I, this is just for people that, you know, that have done even schooling, that have, right. you know, left, uh, you know, and wanted to come back and refresh. And, one of the uh, parts of the, you know, there was nine subjects, and one of them was um, the laptop, you know, Word and all these things. And I, I learned how to do Excel and all these things. And I got, I graduated. I had the most amazing day, and I got the most amazing results. All by the grace of God. And then when I finished, God laid it on my heart to write the second book. There was always hope. Yeah. It was a friend actually phoned me from Max and Spencer to say God told her that I was to write a second book and I said you can come down and write it yourself. Well well to be fair now, Colette, you took out the pen and the paper and are you taught yourself to I, to, to use the laptop and whatever? Oh God, I would have never used the laptop only for the people that were in the college. It was just they're so good at teaching. You know, it was just, so that's how I wrote the book. I did the cover, I did the whole ass of the second book. And um, I got it published also in America with uh, Barnes & Noble because I wanted it to be in America as well. That's one of the most famous yeah. bookstores in the world. <laughs> I didn't know that, no, but I know I know it's in Barnes & Noble anyway. So, um, and, you know, the second book is about hope. Because yeah. after you Leanne know. died by suicide, you, you, as you can imagine, you were you were left a broken woman. Your your family was a broken, a broken family. She died after being... After being bullied, died by suicide, that broke you and broke your family. But, but 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 here you are rebuilding. And is that what is that what there is always hope is about? How you rebuild? It's 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 about really all different stories. It's about people. Other people are in it. That uh, their lives have changed. That and they I give their how I miss them and how where they were, and. And they give them where they are now and what they're doing now for people to all ages. And then from uh, to even a, a woman in Spain that ended up living in my home. And it's just shown people that there is hope. No matter where you go, how far you go down, that, you know, I uh, in the start of the book, I speak about um, a tree when it's cut down. But at the scent of water, it'll come back. Yeah. And that's exactly, all this cut down. And the people that they will read about in this book were cut down. And you know something, and hope. You know, PJ, be honest and be truthful. If you have no hope, 
Hope you have nothing. You have nothing. There's nothing to look forward to. But when you have hope, you know, you can get up, you can look forward. But you know what happens, Colette, is people find themselves in an awful place like you did. And that awful place could be what happened to you or it could be an illness, it could be something. And they say, what hope do I have? Where do I find it? Exactly, PJ. And that's actually the story that's in the book. There's a story where a girl was told there was no more hope for her. A young girl, she's stage four cancer. She's there after trying everything. And you, you, you read her story that she went down to have a little boy, you know, and it couldn't be, it could only be a miracle because she went into menopause okay. with the treatment. And, you know, there was just, she just came to the end of it. There's a, about a young girl that stood on a bridge that's actually in college, you know, with me. That's fantastic. And, you know, they're all great. Yes, and, and they're all collected together in the book, written written by yourself and well done. And you're launching it at the college, which is nice. Which is, and you know, Peter, they're just amazing out here. This is not a college. This is really a place where I never thought that, you know, existed, where there's teachers from the principals to the vice principal to the, the staff that, you know, even will do all the, the young men that will do uh, the work tomorrow night to set up all the area yeah. for the, the book class. It's a huge team the out teachers. there. It's, just a, huge, it's a huge, huge team. Yeah. Colette, I'm going to go there for no reason other than time. It is being launched tomorrow night out at Stephon if at 7 o'clock. Uh, books available on the night, reduced price of €10. Euro. There's on all the various platforms that you uh, can get that book called There Is Always Hope by Colette Wolf. Always a pleasure to speak with you on the programme. Colette had to cut it there for no reason other than the fact that we're pretty much done. Done, dusted and out the gap. I'm not here tomorrow. Be nice to Joe Shea. I will be back Friday. Programme edited by Imar O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry and we're back in the morning just after nine. Snap the app on Cork's 96FM is your ticket to free money. Free money. Can I get a woohoo from you because you are now 500 euro richer? Woohoo. Ah, come on, you can do better than that. Woohoo. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm sure they are. You are now 500 Woo! euro Thank you so much. Download. Step one. Download the Cork's 96FM app to your phone. Step two. Snap a screenshot. Step three. What's up in to win? What's up in to win? Stay listening from 6am weekdays for your chance to play. Take me where you are. Snap the app. To win free money. We've still got thousands to give away. Yeah! Oh my God. Only on Cork's 96FM. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.